0: Good morning, FCBC Walnut family and friends. Thank you for worshiping with us in this online platform. In a few moments, Pastor Albert will lead us in the Lord's Supper. So if you're a baptized believer, please have the elements in front of you so you can partake with us together. If you need time to go prepare it, this is the perfect segment for you to do so. If you're worshiping with us on Facebook Premiere, I encourage you to say hello, to comment, to like each other's comments. Even though we are a church scattered, this platform gives us the opportunity to interact and to bless and encourage one another as we should. So please take full advantage of it. I have a few announcements to give from the digital bulletin. The first two are for our members. This coming Wednesday, we're going to be able to see four member candidates give their pledges as a part of committing and joining the FCBC Walnut Church family. You've had the opportunity to read their testimonies, If you haven't voted for them yet, please go ahead and do so. The link is in your bulletin and this Wednesday, we have the opportunity then to be able to bless them and encourage them and also witness the ceremony with our online presence. So please be in prayer for these four member candidates and please be there to show your support. Secondly, we'll be having our annual business meeting on August 9th at 1pm and this will be online. The information is in your bulletin. If you are a non-member and you would like to attend, please contact Maureen at the email address in the bulletin. Finally, I want to highlight the Red Cross blood drive that will take place on August 13th from 1 to 7 p.m. We are looking for 35 donors and at this point we need about 20 more and so if you are able to give and you sense the tugging in your heart, please sign up. We could certainly use your support. It is a blessing for our church, even though we're not able to open officially yet, to lend our campus to the use of such a great cause. And so let's bless the community together. And if you can give, please do so. Today for pastoral prayer, I want to highlight a particular aspect of our reopening efforts. As you know, the reopening task force is leading us towards outdoor worship as the next step, and we are preparing actively for it. Now the one team that I want to highlight today is the audiovisual team. Audiovisual when we go outdoors becomes the backbone and the means by which all of this can come together for those that come and drive in to worship and for everyone else who will be worshiping online at home. So I want to pray for them, our team leaders, our team members, our equipment, our know-how, our process. And I hope that all of us, even if we're not on the audiovisual team, are prayerful for them so that we as a church can regather together through everyone utilizing their gifts in ministry. Please join me now as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning that we could gather in this online platform. And Lord, we know that this is not the same as seeing each other face to face. This certainly is a shadow of what it's like to be physically present in corporate worship. But we are so grateful, Father, for the means that you have given to us through the ingenuity of people that you have given wisdom and knowledge to be able to build the platforms and the opportunities that we have now to engage in this way. Lord, we can say that even though the building is closed, that the church is certainly not closed because the church is the people. And so we continue to trust you, God, as we pivot towards outdoors worship in your perfect timing. Lord, we want to pray, Father, for our visual team. For the leaders, for the members, God, that you would strengthen them, that you would lead them and guide them, and that we will support them with our words and our actions and our encouragements. Father, we ask, God, for wisdom, Lord, to be able to come up with a process that will work the best for the people there, as well as to be able to stream to the audience that is online. We pray, Lord, for the equipment that we need, that you would help us to acquire and discern what is useful. We pray, Father, for the people and the training that is required, that you would raise the volunteers and also help them seize the disciple-making opportunities to be trained. And Father, we ask God, above all, Lord, that we would remind ourselves, Lord, who we are as your children, that as the household of God, that we are called to glorify you, And one way of doing that is to gather for corporate worship. So we know, Lord, that not all of us will come back at once for many good reasons. But we do pray that you will put that yearning in our hearts, that then through the means of audiovisual, working effectively in unity and diligently and faithfully, Lord, that we're able to draw near to you as one people. We thank you, Father, for that vision to pursue you at all costs and we ask God that you would shape our hearts and shape our homes and shape our groups and shape our teams father to bend towards following you together as a spiritual family in Jesus mighty name I pray amen
1: good morning church welcome to the communion service first Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 to 26 you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. You know Jesus instituted the Holy Communion for two thousand years. This tradition has been passed on from generation to generation, and today it comes to us. Have you noticed as you read the passage that I just read to you, First Corinthians chapter eleven verses twenty three to 26? that when Paul introduced the Holy Communion and introduced us to the Lord of the Holy Communion, he fades into the background. And Jesus is the focus. Jesus steps up and begins to speak what is Holy Communion, just like he did uh, and on, the, on the night he was betrayed. So he, today, as we stand together, it is as if Jesus is standing with us. And then he took bread, and said, this is my body for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. So today, as we observe the Holy Communion, it is Jesus who comes into our midst. And I hope that Jesus is the one, as you sit in your respective home, that will minister to you, through the cup and the bread, so that together we people of God will come and remember the Lord, remember His love, remember His sacrifice, remember His substitutional death on the cross to redeem us, to cleanse our sins and and, and reconcile us with the Heavenly Father. So let's pray together. Let me lead you in a prayer of confession. Our Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for this time together. As we come together, Lord, we confess that sometimes we are fearful. We are afraid. Lord, we confess that sometimes we are anxious. And sometimes, Lord, we don't know about the future and therefore we lose our bearing. But today we ask for your forgiveness that our faith is anchored in the gospel, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the cross of Jesus. That Father, I pray that as we come before you, uh, for some of us, we confess that, Lord, we are already in a state of lukewarmness. And for some of us, Lord, we are just lacking, and we, we are very becoming more and more passive in our faith. We take the attitude of wait and see and not doing much and not really living a vibrant life to be disciple of Jesus Christ. Lord, we confess our shortcomings and our weaknesses. May you come to us, empower us, be our shepherd, guide us, draw us to Jesus, enliven our faith, Empower us with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Word that we may live for you. Thank you, Lord, for this time as we come together to remember you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have the communion elements with you, please uh, take it in your hands. And if it is possible, I want to invite you to stand even from your respective home with me and observe the Holy Communion together. And remember, The Holy Communion is for those who are born again, uh, baptized members of the church. If you have not been baptized, we ask you to wait. But you can join us by observing from your heart and join us together to remember the goodness of God. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and said, This is my body for you. Take in remembrance of me. Let's remember the Lord. Let's eat together. After supper, he took up and said, This is the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink in remembrance of me. Let's drink together to remember the Lord. Let us pray the Lord's prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let us prepare our hearts for receiving God's word through His faithful servant, Pastor Handy. Good morning, FCBC Walnut.
2: Today I want to take a break from our study through the book of Ezra and address the state of our English congregation. You know, we're a large family, and I know that all of us are in different places. I know some of you are disappointed and a little discouraged because you were really looking forward to our reopening. And I understand that for those of you who want to come back, it's for good reasons. You want to come back for the sake of mutual encouragement. You want to come back to see a visible expression of the church gathered together in corporate praise. And for those of you who are in that camp, we're working really hard to see what we can do uh, to have a safe outdoor parking lot drive-in type of service. Uh, but we'll need some time because we're working through some some technical hurdles just to make sure that we could broadcast the audio for you and to get things up and going. Now I know that while that's true for some of you, I know that there's many of you who have indicated in some of our surveys, that you're going to be waiting to come back, again, for good reasons. Some of you, because it is essential that you take wise precaution for yourself or for your family members. For many of you, it's for the sake of loving your neighbor and wanting to to prevent uh, any type of possibility of the spread of COVID-19. And so we want to say that regardless of where you're at this morning, we cherish you. And as a church, we are going to work hard. We're going to try our best to provide some type of gathered worship. It won't be perfect. It won't be ideal. You know that even though we gather for an hour or two on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or even on a Saturday, uh, you're going to be wearing face masks. There's going to be social distancing. You might be in your cars. And in very in a very real way, even though we're physically together, the encouragement is being able to see the visibility of other people worshiping with you. You'll still feel very scattered, even though we're together, because things are unideal and because we're still separated by distance. For others of you who will be continuing to worship online, we will do everything we can to continue to provide online worship services, whether that's a live stream or a pre-recorded sermon. And we know that for sure if that's you, you're going to still feel a little scattered. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about how to be the church when many of our ministries remain virtual or digital. Does the Word of God have anything to say about churches scattered by trials? And the answer is yes. I've entitled our sermon today, Sovereign Guidance for a Scattered Church sovereign guidance for a scattered church and yes i'm having a little bit of fun with the title because you know that the word that the california state uh, government uses for guidelines is often called the guidance there is there are there are california guidances for houses of worship or places of worship there are LA County, there is an LA County guidance put out for places of worship and houses of worship. And so the Word of God also provides a guidance. There is a sovereign and divine guidance for a scattered church. You see, what I want you to realize is that we need to continue to be the church. And when you consider Sunday morning, so let's just say that we get this parking lot service going or even if we were able to reopen for a socially distanced and face mask covered worship service indoors, even if that was the case, when you consider Sunday morning service, that's only an hour or two considering the rest of the life of the church. An hour or two out of the rest of the life of the church. More than 90% of church life happens outside of Sunday morning. And for us, we know that much of that, the majority of the life of the church right now is happening online or on virtual space. So we need to address this. Is there an ecclesiology where we can look at what is essential to the physical gathering, but what are things that we would prefer in a physical physical in-person types of ministries? And it's preferred that way, it's better that way, but it can also be done online. That's what we're going to see this morning. So if you have God's Word, turn with me to First Peter chapter four. 1 Peter chapter four, and we're going to start in verse seven. The pericope, the unit of thoughts, is First Peter chapter four, verses seven to eleven. But today we're just going to look at verses seven to eight, and we are going to we're going to pick up in verse seven where Peter begins by giving a scattered church the proper perspective the proper mindset for thinking the proper mindset of hope and so i want to begin today with that introduction there's an introductory point in the very first part of first peter chapter 4 verse 7 and it says the end of all things is at hand the end of all things is at hand this is a perspective this is a perspective that reminds us that we are in the last days. It reminds us that Jesus can come back at any time. Now, when it comes to living in light of the sovereign return of Christ, I think many of us naturally and we understand we we take it for granted and we treat the second coming of Christ, unless you're a fanatic or a, or a prophecy geek, we kind of treat the second coming of Christ the way we treat earthquakes in the state of California. You know, here in the state of California, all of us are well aware that the big one can hit at any moment. The big one could come right now. The big earthquake. We call it the big one. And we may have earthquakes here and there, but largely most of us live our lives forgetting about the fact that the big one will come. We kind of just said, okay, we're sick and tired of hearing that warning. And most of us are living as if, yes, we believe that the big one can come and will come at any time, but we live as if it won't happen in our lifetime. Now, most of you have earthquake kits of some kind, but many of us, we don't prioritize that, right? And so I think at the end of the day, sometimes we think of the second coming of Christ in that way. We believe it's going to happen. We believe it can happen anytime, any time, but we live as if it will not happen in our lifetime. And so when we are hit with trials. When we're hit with something like a pandemic, and it's not a real earthquake, but it shakes up our faith, it shakes up the course of how we do church, sometimes we lose our perspective, and we panic during times of trouble. We panic during pandemic because we fail to live in light of the parousia. The parousia refers to the second coming of Christ. So the first thing I want us to see is hope through urgency. Peter teaches us in an introductory point how to have hope through living with urgency. I want you to notice Peter understands how important your view of the future is. Having some reasonable predictability about the future gives you a sense of security, peace, and hope. And oftentimes the reason why we are in distress or we are worried or we are anxious with COVID-19 is that we have no idea when, A vaccine is gonna come. We have no no idea when this pandemic is gonna end, we have no idea with the life of the church when we'll be able to gather again, like we we did before the virus hit. And so let me put it in a few ways to bring it home for you, just this point of the of the importance of having a proper perspective of the future. Your outlook for the future determines your objective. For today, how you make plans oftentimes determines your outlook for the future. Your perspective, how you think about the future, determines your priorities for today. What you prioritize, what I prioritize, is often determined by the perspective that we have in terms of what's going to happen in the near or distant future Put it another way, what you believe about tomorrow impacts how you behave today. Your belief impacts your behavior. This is basic to how we make plans as human beings. And so if you consider that Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. What is the end of all things? I think this needs to be taken in context. And it's the context is set for us. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, but if you just look back in your Bibles at verse 5, now we're talking about the very same chapter, two verses up, in verse 5. 1 Peter 4, verse 5 is very clear. It says, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And when you put that into context, it's talking about warning for the final judgment. Christ will come back at any time. And on that day, there will be salvation and deliverance for God's people, but there will be judgment for all those who have rejected Christ. And so, very it's very clear that the end of all things refers to the second coming of Christ, the day of final judgment, the day where God will come back to judge the world. That's in immediate context but what else do we know We also know that in first Peter chapter 1 verse 5 in first Peter chapter 1 verse 5 it talks about a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. That phrase the last times it's the same idea as as the end of all things. That we in the church age, we are living in the last times now. And we're waiting for the day that Jesus will return to reveal salvation. Final salvation for those who believe. So it is the day of the Lord. It is the day of judgment for those who do not believe. But it is a day of salvation. of final salvation and vindication for all those who do believe. Now, what does it mean at hand? The end of all things is at hand. You see, Jesus is coming back but just like we mentioned where we kind of live as if, hey man, it's been a long time. It's been such a long time since Jesus promised that he was going to return. Jesus, Jesus is Peter is saying the same thing. Peter is saying, you folks might think Jesus isn't coming back soon because by the time Peter writes, some time had passed since Jesus had ascended back into heaven. And now it's been Thousands of years, right? In that sense, and so, so when what seems like, but Peter reminds us in Second Peter three eight that what seems like a thousand years to us is but one day to the Lord, and so God is timeless. God is eternal. He lives outside of time, and so what seems like a very long time to us, to a timeless God, it's like a moment in the divine redemptive plan. And so therefore, Peter is saying, you folks might think that Jesus isn't coming back, but you need to live as if he's coming back now. If Jesus were coming back today, how would we live? What would we stop doing? And what would we start doing immediately? What would we, we be investing in? Who would be in, we be investing in? What would, would we say, wow, this is so trivial? I think this is the call for the scattered church. The scattered church is reminded that when something valuable is taken away from us, like normal church life, like face-to-face contact and relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that the end of all things can happen at any time. That Jesus can come back and take away life on earth as you know it, yet for those who believe, it will be a day of great rejoicing because we will be with Jesus and we will be we will experience the ultimate gathering of the church, universal. So the end of all things is at hand. At hand means live as if it's happening now, that it can happen anytime, that Jesus can return at any time. And this is a critical perspective, beloved. So how do you be the church Well, the first thing of being the church in a pandemic, being a scattered church, is knowing that our ultimate hope is in the final gathering. There will be a day when Jesus comes back to gather the church, and it will not be at 155 Fairway Drive in Walnut, California. It will not be just with members of this church. It will be with all the saints from all time, everyone who has confessed their faith and have experienced genuine conversion in Christ. And we also know that if you've paid attention to Jesus' words, that as we get closer to his second coming, that things aren't supposed to get easier. Church life isn't supposed to get easier. Things aren't supposed to get better. In fact, Jesus warns us that there will be trouble, there will be persecution, it will be harder to worship him, and things are not going to get better. But that's because it's like birth pains. It's like birth pains, right? It's, there's pain that's coming. There's, that, there's the trial, and, and but the new creation is coming. That soon the old creation through pain will give birth to the new creation that Jesus will usher in. And so that's the mindset that we have to have. And so that means that, yes, even if we're waiting for the day where we can gather again, we must not just sit back and wait. There's a way to wait. There's an active waiting. There's a waiting with urgency. You see, our hope is not just in waiting because when we sit at home and just wait, so again, whether we are waiting responsibly uh, because we want to wait to come back because we want to love our neighbor or we're waiting with anticipation because we want to come back to mutually encourage each other even in an outdoor service, there's a way to wait. And that waiting is to continue to wait but not sitting back, waiting while actively living passionately through Christian living. is the taking the gospel seriously and applying that to our lives each and every day, being the church. And so there are four exhortations that flow out of this mindset and this heartbeat of urgency. There are four exhortations that Peter gives us starting in the second part of chapter 4, verse 7 of, of the great epistle of 1 Peter. And today we're going to look at the first two. And the first is to be spiritually alert. Be spiritually alert. Look with me now at the second part of verse 7 where Peter says this. And before I read it to you, I want to remind you that these are exhortations. These are commands. Be spiritually alert. And here's what it says. Because of the urgency, because the end of all things is at hand, therefore, because Jesus can come back at any time, therefore, be the church. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. That's what Peter says. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. These two words are meant to be taken together. They are synonymous they are two different phrases that describe the same type of heart activity and the same type of practice and mindset. Therefore, be self-controlled. In other words, be disciplined in your thinking and be sober-minded. Self-controlled is the opposite of being drunk. You see how both of them, the opposite is be, of is being drunk. When you are drunk, you lose control. You are not in control of your faculties and your bodily you don't have bodily control and you're thinking, you're not thinking clearly. So when you're drunk, you lose self-control. But also when you're drunk, we call that you're not sober. You are not sober-minded. You can't think clearly. So both of these are are talking about a very sober and controlled mindset and perspective. It is the opposite of being drunk, right? And when you think of the world, there's all kinds of conspiracies going around deceiving people. There's all kinds of fear going around deceiving people. And then there's all kinds of political thoughts going around deceiving people. There are false teachers teaching uh, false religion. All types of stuff. There's social media hype. There are good things out there and there are bad things. There are things that are great for us to know and there are things that damage our mindset as Christians. And if we are not sober about our prayers, if we are not sober about biblical truth, if we are not sober about what Jesus has revealed to us, then it's easy for us to get depressed, discouraged, downtrodden, or hopeless. And so to have hope through urgency means to be controlled in our thinking, be controlled in our emotions, be sober in our thinking, be sober in our in our words. Now, this is not a new thought. This idea of being sober-minded has been mentioned several times in Peter I want to show you these cross references in first Peter chapter one verse thirteen Peter says, therefore preparing your minds for action you see that it 's this idea of your mindset your perspective right preparing your minds for action and being sober minded set your hope fully on the grace of that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see how Jesus is, I mean, Peter is almost saying the same type of thing. He's saying that giving the same type of exhortation, the same context. He's saying, be prepared in your mindset, in your actions. Be sober in your thinking because your hope is in the fact that the end of all things is at hand. Your hope is on the fact that Jesus Christ will be revealed to you, that he's coming back. Right, same context, same thinking. Now, a slightly different context, but same type of exhortation. First Peter chapter five verse eight. First Peter chapter five verse eight. Peter says, "Be sober-minded." Right. So, be alert. Be sober. Be watchful. Be alert. Be spiritually alert, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So, I'm not saying that Satan is sitting behind the scenes, causing a pandemic. I'm, we don't have evidence of that. But it shouldn't escape us for a moment that Satan could be behind all things that would bring evil and despair to this world. We can't sleep on Satan for a moment that he does want to destroy the church. He does not want the church to gather. And he will use every agency, every whether it's disease or dictators, whether it's governments or just educational systems or just persecution from unbelievers, He will use any means possible to stop the church from being the church. So what we want where we want to live for Christ and how we want to live to our Christ is to be sober and alert to these things and to understand that whether we are gathered physically or gathered spiritually on a digital platform that we can still be Jesus. Church, but we it begins with with being spiritually alert. Now, in our passage, we take sober-minded and self-controlled uh together to be spiritually alert. And notice the purpose for this. If we go back, it says for the purpose of our prayers, right? It says, therefore, be self-controlled as sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. What does this mean? Why is the purpose of prayers? Because I want you to consider something. How we are united. So even if we were to gather physically, in person, even before COVID, what unites us is our salvation. Do you understand this? That, That when we're sitting in this room together, and we hope that that day comes soon, when we're standing in this room worshiping together, when we're gathering in small groups in the room, so our physical gathering, what unites us is often, or is ultimately not often, it's all the time, ultimately it's spiritual. It is a spiritual union with Jesus Christ. It is a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what unites us. It is spiritual. Our confession, it is spiritual. Our prayers, when we pray for each other, it is spiritual. When we take communion, there is a symbolic presence, a memorial celebration, but there is a spiritual presence in that sense of we are united spiritually when we take the Lord's Supper together. It is spiritual. So, Doesn't it make sense, isn't it logical then, that if what unites us is spiritual, then the action that ultimately keeps us united must also be spiritual. And what is that? It is prayer. Prayer is spiritual, and prayer brings us all before one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is is through prayer that we maintain our identity our spiritual union and identity as Jesus' church. And the beautiful thing about prayer is that you can pray alone for the church and for others in the church. You can pray for non-Christians and your unbelieving friends that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can pray together. We can pray physically in person or we can pray on virtual space. Prayer does not stop just because we can't gather physically. Prayer continues, and prayer is how one of the main ways that we remain spiritually alert, by talking to God. When you constantly talk to God, you are reminded of the Word of God. You are reminded of His second coming. You're reminded of the proper perspective because you're constantly talking to God. And prayer is what we need to be doing as a discipline. Prayer is hard. It's easier to listen to social media. It's easier to listen to the news. It's easier to listen to people. It's harder to discipline ourselves to say, okay, there's a lot of information going around and there's a lot of things we don't know. But God is sovereign. God knows. He sits on his throne. So let's talk to God. Let's bring our fears, our anxieties, and our unknowns to God and let's pray to the God who knows us and knows all things. But that requires discipline. That requires a sober mind and self-control. And so, beloved, that's the first thing that we got to do as a church is that we need to do everything that we can to be united in prayer. Pray in your small groups. You can do this online. Pray in your community groups or your missional communities. You can do this over your online virtual meetings. You can pray for each other over the phone. You can send prayer messages through text messaging. You can pray by joining our Wednesday night prayer meetings where we're corporately gathered, if you will, and you get to actually see other people signed on at the same time praying for the church and praying for each other. Prayer is one way that we be the church. So again, how do you be the church in a digital age? How do you be a virtual church when we're separated by a pandemic? Well, we maintain our unity through prayer. That's the first thing that we see. The second thing that Peter tells us, we see in verse 8, is to be constant in loving one another. To be constant in loving one another. So we move from praying to God and praying for one another to being constant in loving one another. So once... Once again, we be spiritually alert and self-controlled through the exercise of prayer. But secondly, now we be constant in loving one another. I want you to see this in chapter 4, verse 8. Be constant in loving one another. Notice 1 Peter 4, 8. It says, above all, meaning this is important. Above all things, keep loving one another. Keep loving one another. How? Earnestly. Why? Since love covers a multitude of sins. So once again, above all. Most importantly, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Here Peter is exhorting believers to mutually love one another. Now Peter, he's going to explain that we must be constant in our Christ-like love. He's going to make it very clear that this love is demonstrated through forgiving each other. That's what we see in in verse 8. But first, when the Bible says loving one another earnestly when it says keep loving one another earnestly earnest means deeply or intensely some of your bible translations like the new american standard bible it says be fervent in loving one another fervent be intense be passionate now i chose the word constant for our points because sometimes when you and i think of passion and zeal it's often something that's temporary like you could be really passionate but we know the passion can fade right because you get tired. I mean, how, how, how long can you be passionate? You know, uh, many of you know that early on uh, in my ministry, I was very passionate. I am a very passionate person in my preaching, especially. But even in, in teaching and in discipling, just a really loud person uh, being very passionate. But over time, you realize that passion wears out. And true passion turns into something else. Passion is still existent, but passion turns into a constancy, a willingness to have long-suffering, a persistence, a perseverance, if you will. True passion is a lasting drive, this inner drive that causes you to wake up to live for something or someone that you love and something that you believe in, a cause, a mission. For you and I, beloved, we live for our Messiah and his mission. And passion, for us, would be constancy. So in the beginning of the pandemic, I think a lot of people were like, okay, this is a different change, and so we're Christians. Let's see how we can plug into the church through online worship or through different platforms. Some of you have stayed the course, but others of you, I, I, I get it. There's there's fatigue. There's online fatigue. There's Zoom fatigue. There's just life. It takes over, and it's harder to be plugged in to the body because of everything that's going on. But constantly, a love for Christ leads to a love for His people. That's, we see that everywhere. Love God, love your neighbor. Love people, right? Love God, love people. And loving Christ means loving Jesus' people, loving the church. And so a constant love for Christ must lead to this constant, this earnest and deep, genuine love for one another, this fervent love and notice the word keep. Constancy. Keep loving one another. Don't let up, Don't grow. Don't let fatigue set in. And so next week we'll talk about how this looks like, looks like more specifically for the life of the church. But how to be the church is that if you're constantly praying, because you're spiritually alert and sober and you understand why things are happening and how to live in light of Jesus's return, then you begin to say, okay. We don't know what's happening, but we know we got to be urgent. And part of that urgent living is to live for Christ by loving each other. And so when it talks about an example here of forgiveness, I want you to see this. It says, since love covers a multitude of sins. So why should we keep loving one another? And I want to translate that for you in a practical way. Love covers a multitude of sins. I want you just to say this. You can say it in your homes right now. We need to love one another in a way that reflects The gospel. Our love must reflect the gospel. You can repeat that at home. Our love must reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does it mean love covers a multitude of sins? Well, this idea is talking about the gospel. See, when we sin, God's forgiveness continues to constantly cover us if we repent and if we confess because He loves us. Right, this is taken from the idea. This phrase, love covers a multitude of sins, is found in, in Proverbs chapter ten verse twelve, where in Proverbs ten twelve it says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. What we see in this world today is all types of hatred and vengeance. We live in a council culture. Everyone lives with their cameras, taking videos of people, shaming them and wanting to cancel their entire lives because they made a mistake. Now, once again, I'm not saying we shouldn't document crime, and I'm not saying we shouldn't document bigotry and hatred. You need documentation. You need things for legal processes. But I think we are sometimes quick to rush to want to shame people on social media. But imagine this. God sees all of our dirty laundry. God sees all of our sins. He knows what type of closets we all have. Yet at the end of the day, Jesus bore all of our sin and all of our shame. Imagine if Jesus broadcasted all of our shameful sins to the world. Instead, he bore all of our shame by hanging on that cross for the world to see. All of our sins hidden in Christ. Our lives hidden in Christ. As Christians, we should not rush to practice council culture in the church, that is not correct, yes, there are times where sins in the church must be exposed yes, that 's why there's such a thing as Matthew eighteen and church discipline, and when churches don 't discipline sin among their members, yes, evil takes place, evil takes root. but what this is talking about is a an opposite countercultural attitude of love that forgives. You see, sometimes when we sin, there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right. If we hurt our spouse or our kids or our loved ones, or we hurt someone, or we say something that we regret, or we do something that we regret, we there's nothing we can do to turn back time. Even if we wish we wouldn't have said something or did something, we can't change our actions. The only thing we can do is hope that by the mercies of of God, that the other person would overlook our offense and forgive us. You see what I'm saying? The only thing we can do sometimes is ask for forgiveness. And when we ask for forgiveness, we hope that the other person can overlook our sins because we can't cover our shame. We can't cover our sin. We can't turn back time. We can't reverse the clock. Only thing we could do is come before our Redeemer and our Savior. And ask for forgiveness. And the only thing we can do is to come before the person that we've offended and sinned against and said, brother or sister, or if it's your your wife or your kids, to say, please forgive me. I've sinned against you. And it is only if they exercise Christ-like love, a gospel-reflective love, that they can forgive us. And in that sense, it defines love covers a multitude of sins. And if we are Christians, if we've been saved by Jesus Christ, then his love, the gospels, the gospel-centered love of Christ has covered all of our sins because of his love. And that is the type of love we must actively have towards one another. So during this pandemic, we must work hard to reconcile any unreconciled relationships to be the church because it's harder to maintain relationships when we're separated. But I know that this is not just talking about forgiving each other. We must actively love one another. So my question is, how can you do that? How can you love each other? How can you practice active love towards one another? Next week, I'll talk about things like hospitality and exercising your spiritual gifts. But one of the ways we can love each other in a tangible way is to do so in your groups. I know not everybody is part of a group, but I know that there are, there are many of you in small groups, community groups, or missional community groups. And in doing so, you can practice love for each other through caring for each other, through praying for each other, through providing for each other, through grocery shopping for each other, if that's a need, through sharing resources, through encouraging each other. How can you love each other? And so uh, even if you're not in a group, I'm going to give you an opportunity later in the application that you can join a group now. Okay, so, um, but this idea of stirring one another up and loving each other because the end of all things is at hand is an idea that we also see echoed in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, we see the same type of exhortation that we need to love each other all the more because Jesus is coming back. I want you to see, it says, let us consider how to stir Up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, once again, this whole idea of meeting together yes, the author of Hebrews had in mind a physical gathering, they didn't have online meetings or even the telephone back then, so he had in mind physical meetings, and yes. Peter had in mind some type of physical meeting. But beloved, we are in a pandemic. This is an unprecedented time. Yes, we should still prioritize, if possible, physical meetings. But when we can't meet physically, it does not negate the exhortation and the command to consider how to stir one another up through love. The command still stands. And so there is no excuse. We can't look at the Lord and say, well, Lord, we stop actively loving each other. We stop practicing our spiritual gifts. We stop being the church because we can't physically meet together. How can you look at Jesus and say that? Especially when he, in his divine sovereignty, chose to give us a pandemic during a time when we have technology and online platforms, lots of technology? And so therefore, we need to look to the Lord and say, Lord, even though we cannot gather physically, we are going to continue to be the church in the best way possible through online ministries and through virtual platforms and through digital care and ministry. So this is the teaching of the Lord, to be sober-minded and to know that the day of the Lord is drawing near. He's returning at any time, and we must stir one another up in loving each other now like i mentioned meeting can be done both meeting can be done both physically or virtually but i want you to consider something that just because we can't gather physically doesn't make that meeting unreal or fake or false you see ideally we prefer that all church life be done in person face to face That's how Christianity was designed. But I want you to consider something. If you had a work meeting or a school meeting or a conference call or a virtual class or a video call where agreements and contracts are discussed, where commitments are made, where business is conducted, where classes are attended for credit, would you look at me and say, because it was not face-to-face and in-person, none of that counts. No school credit agreement is not binding, what would you say? Would you say the meeting did not take place? No. You would say the meeting took place. Everything that took place was real. All communication was real. All agreements are binding. All classes attended online should count for credit as long as they are taken for credit and not audited. All of that, same mindset, business deals online count. Business transaction online count if that is true, then church life practiced online must count. And it is with that that I want to give you this that that when you come back there will be some risk for some of you who will be coming back for for in-person worship, God willing in the parking lot. it will not be perfect. You will be you will be again like I said, distanced and in face mask, But you will be encouraged through the visible expression of the gathered church. And in that moment, remember that it counts. It counts even if you're in your cars. It counts even if your faces are covered. It counts even if you're waving and saying hi from a far distance. It counts. Because it is the heart, it is the actions, it is the intention that Jesus looks at. For those of you worshiping online, Separated by distance, but united on a virtual platform, spiritually united, it counts. It counts because a digital expression of love is still a real expression of Christ like love. A digital expression of worship is still a real expression of worship in light of a pandemic and in light of a, a crisis. So here's the big idea the big idea this morning is. Be spiritually alert and constant in loving one another because our hope is in the urgency of Christ's return. Once again, be spiritually alert and constant in loving one another because our hope is in the urgency of Christ's return. Let me give you a few points of application. And please bear with me. I know we are going longer than I anticipated but but to set you up for next week, because this is a two-part series, is that there are a few church essentials that are best done in person and ought to be done in person and all, almost only can be truly done in person. Okay, And so these are church essentials, essentials to being the church. Number one is corporate singing. There is something uplifting when you're standing in a room and there are, are many voices, maybe hundreds of voices or thousands of voices united in song and praise, corporate singing, corporate worship through praise and music, obviously that can only be done through in-person worship services. You can't really do that well online. Yes, you can get into a Google room or a Zoom call, but, but you know that all the voices are going to intersect unmixed and it's just going to sound really weird when everyone's talking over each other, right? So this can only be done in person. Secondly, the ordinances. Of communion and baptism, the Lord's Supper and Baptism. Yes, we've been taking the Lord's Supper online, but when you're in person taking it together in the same room at the same time, that's how it was designed. That's why that's 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 why we see the exhortation in First Corinthians of waiting until everybody is there to take it together. Yes, we're doing it online right now, but that's uh, that's just a temporary measure. The ordinances are, are ultimately meant to be practiced in person. So that's why there's a lot of churches that have waited until they come back, until they take the Lord's Supper. And then secondly, baptism can only be done in person. You can't do a baptism over online. right? You need to do it in person. And the, both of these ordinances are meant to be done in the physical presence of the church. Number three, face-to-face fellowship. Obviously, if it's face-to-face, it needs to be done in person where you can lay hands on people and pray. So this idea of face-to-face fellowship, I'm not talking about digital fellowship, I'm not talking about face-to-face online, but I'm talking about in-person fellowship can only be done in person. And fourth, community outreach events or any type of, of large gathering outreach event or in-reach event, community outreach events where you're reaching the community. Often, that, that you can only do that in person. But These are only four things. These four things need to be done in person. But check out this. There are seven things. There are more, but seven that fit on the slide nicely. There are these, all seven of these are essential to the church. They are better done in person. They are preferred to be done in person. But in a time of crisis, they can be done online. And so when we talk about worship in the sense of listening to a sermon, You can do that online. When you talk about personal worship, which is important, that can be done online. Number two, Bible teaching and Bible study. This can be done online and it is being done online. Number three, prayer. Prayer can be done online. Evangelism can be done online. I'll lean into this more next week. Giving is essential to the church and worship. It can be done online. Groups fellowship and edification of the saints can be done online. Disciple making, equipping of the saints, leadership training, leadership development can be done online. Anything that can be done in a school or a university that's moved online can be done for a church online. And so once again, if you are not part of a group and you want to join a group, please email assimilation. At walnut.org. I forgot to put the email on the slides for you, but a simulation at fcbcwanda.org, and the good people there can help you to begin to plug into a group. Next week, I'm going to talk about how a lot of the life of the church can happen in groups. So today, I want to leave you once again with a big idea: be spiritually alert and constant in loving one another. Because our hope is in the urgency of Christ's return. And so that is how we can be the church when we are scattered and when we are worshiping primarily on virtual space. The digital church must be spiritually alert and constant in loving one another because our hope is in the urgency of Christ's return. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you today and we long for the day where we can once again gather to worship face-to-face, in person. Lord, we want to pray for the parking lot service. We know that that will be imperfect, but it will be the closest thing that we can experience to seeing a visible expression of the church gathered in one place. Lord, we pray that that would happen, that you would allow that to take place for those who are discouraged and need to see a, a, a visible, physical gathering for the sake of their spiritual encouragement. Father, we know that there are many who are feeling that, discouragement now we pray that you would build them up encourage them help them to look to have the hope of urgency in jesus's return father i want to pray for those who will choose to remain worshiping at home out of a mindset of wise precaution and a motivation for loving thy neighbor father i want to pray for them that you would continue to watch over them i want to pray lord that you would help them to connect to the church and to be the church digitally. We know, Lord, that because Sunday morning is only one or two hours, that over 90% of the life of our church will be on digital space for the time being. So, Father, I pray that you would continue to lead us in terms of how to be a church online. And so, Lord, thank you for the opportunities that you've given us. We pray that you would continue to sustain our church because you are the head of the church. And we trust in your sovereign guidance as we are scattered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Dear church family and friends, let us receive this benediction together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.